Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, today we're looking at the topic of noble silence. We are continuing through the book of Mark. We really will get to the end of the gospel of Mark, by the way, uh, come November or so, which is just next month. But we're going to get there. But I hope that you have enjoyed going through Mark as much as I have. But today we're looking at this place In the scripture where we're looking at the noble silence, and as we think about this noble silence, our King Jesus is silent. Have there ever been times, listen now, have there ever been times in your life when you wondered why God is silent? Chances are we've all been there, amen? We ask the question, we pray, we pray, we pray, and there's just silence, Or we look around at the world around us and the culture is marching toward madness and God is silent. There are rough seas in which we are having to navigate and God is silent. Some would ask, where are you, Lord, in the midst of this? Why are you so quiet? Lord, as I look around, why are you not acting? Y'all ever felt that way? Come on now. Yes. Well, today we're looking specifically in Mark chapter 14, verses 43 down to verse 65, and we're seeing the arrest of Jesus. Jesus is arrested now. Last week, we looked at him in the garden praying, telling the disciples to watch and pray. He says, it's enough. And then rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. And so Judas is on the way and he is about to be arrested. But what we find as we look at this story is that Jesus, King Jesus, our creator, who is all God, but yet 100% human as well, he does not resist arrest. The king submits And when falsely accused by those who are lying about him, he remains silent. And so we will see King Jesus' noble silence and how the people reacted, but also what we can learn from this as well. So reading Mark 14, verses 43 through 65, if you're able in honor and reverence to the word of God, would you please stand as I read that portion of scripture to you this morning. And immediately while he, that's Jesus, was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Then they laid their hands on Jesus and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you do not seize me, but the scripture must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. Remember, he said that would happen. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, and the young men laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth, and he fled from them naked. And they had led Jesus away to the high priest. With them were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. 
Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. And for many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies, they did not agree. And then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I'll build another made without hands. But even, not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. But then again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the, of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. And then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, Prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Let's pray. Oh, Father, even as we read these words, We stand in awe of you, that you endured such hostility for us so that we would not have to endure the hostility of hell. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your faithfulness to be with us at this very moment. And Lord, we believe that you are working in our hearts and lives. And if there are those here today that don't know you, Lord Jesus, as the Savior of their lives, we pray that this is the hour of salvation where they'll surrender and say yes to you, Lord. But for those of us who are your people, Father, maybe this is a time where we need to have some questions answered. And maybe this is a time, Lord, where we need to be encouraged in our walk or we need to be hearing from you in a very profound way. We pray, Lord, that you would use the word of God what you've laid upon my heart to share with us this morning, to just speak to us, to speak truth into our lives. But Lord, we pray that we'll walk away from here changed people. We pray, Father, that we will know that we have been in the presence of Almighty God as we leave here. And we thank you, Lord, that you've already made yourself known. So, Lord, now we pray that you'd have your way in every heart and every life. We yield our time to you, Lord. I yield my life to you. And this this very moment, this hour, Lord, is yours for you to do with as you wish. But, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We'll see the outline in the bulletin today. A few lines to fill in. We'll see if we can get those done fairly Rapidly, But the first one we see here is the reactions to his silence. As we look at this, uh, this passage of Scripture, we see that there are several reactions to Jesus being silent. And the first thing that we want to see is Judas. His reaction to the silence of Jesus, he has a refusal. A refusal. It's a refusal to believe, actually. It's a refusal. In verses 44 and 45, we see Judas, it says his betrayer, that's Judas, had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he's the one, seize him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to Jesus and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he kissed him. What has happened to Judas? What in the world has happened to Judas? He seemed to be following Jesus, and now he brings to him a kiss of death. 
You see, in Judas's eyes, Jesus does not perform like he thinks he should. He wants Jesus not to be a suffering servant or a servant leader. He wants Jesus to be this political revolutionary, to be a powerful leader in order that Judas himself can have all power and have prestige and have some more money. And so Judas has been asking all along when Jesus is not moving in that direction. So what are you doing, Jesus? You're, you're not living up to my thoughts. You're, Jesus, you're not living up to my opinion. Jesus, you're not living up to my dreams. Jesus, you're not living up to my ideas. And so since you're not doing that, Jesus, I am going to turn my back on you because you're not getting me where I think I ought to be. And so I'm going to refuse to believe, and that's what Judas does. Judas thinks Jesus is silent, and so he betrays Jesus. He refused to believe in him as the promised Messiah. He had seen Jesus as the path to prosperity, but that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is the road to righteousness. Amen? And so we see this in Judas and the danger of having this kind of reaction to the silence of Jesus, Jesus not being who he thinks he should be. We see that in our own lives today and that we want Jesus to fit our mold instead of us fitting his. When when he doesn't measure up, when Jesus doesn't measure up to what we want, what happens sometimes in the silence of Jesus is that we turn our eyes to other things as our God, just like Judas did, turned his eyes toward the power and money. And what we know about that is that it led to his destruction. And friends, whenever we go after the gods of this world, it always has the same effect. It leads to destruction. The Bible tells us, Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14, to enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. You see, friends, when Jesus is silent, when he isn't living up to who we think he should be, when he isn't taking us to the places that we think that we deserve, then sometimes we can become so disillusioned that we will turn toward the things of this world and there is a refusal to believe and it leads to destruction as it did in Judas's case. Judas reacted to the silence of Jesus not being who he thought he was by refusing to believe. Peter is our second character here in this passage of Scripture. And what we see about Peter is that Peter had a reckless railroading. You like that? I mean, it just sort of represents, it sort of describes Peter, doesn't it? A reckless railroading. In verse 46 and 47, just we're here in the garden. We see verse 46, they laid their hands on him, that's Jesus, and they took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. If you moved to John chapter 18 and see this same story there from John's point of view, you see in verse 10 that it says that Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. 
And so the servant's name was Malchus, it tells us in that passage. So we see that it's Peter here who Mark is pointing to, alluding to, who stood by and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cut off his ear. So what is Peter doing? Peter is recklessly railroading the process. What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, what Peter is doing is Peter is steamrolling the situation. Peter decides that he needs to take matters into his own hands. Amen? Y'all with me? You can just sort of hear Peter's thoughts, thought process. You know, he's already boasted, no matter what, he's going to be with Jesus. But here, Peter, he's got to be thinking as, as the crowds are coming to him and they're about to arrest Jesus, that Peter's got to be thinking, so what, why are you silent, Jesus? Jesus, do something. You're, you're, you're not resisting the crowd. You're not standing up for yourself, Jesus. You're, you're not acting fast enough. You're, you're not doing enough. Where are you? What are you doing, Jesus? And well, Jesus, since you're not acting, I guess I need to take charge. And that's what he does. He takes charge. He recklessly railroads the process and he cuts off an ear. But of course, we know in Luke 22 that Jesus actually healed this ear. But as we think about Peter and the silence of Jesus, when our God is not doing enough, when he's not acting quick enough for us, Oh, how we feel like we need to help God out because he's not acting quick enough. And so what happens is, as we do what Peter did, and we recklessly railroad the situation, and in so doing, we're making ourselves out to be God because we think that we know more than God does, and we take matters into our own hands because we know better. Amen? Come on now, I know that's convicting, but that's true, isn't it? We want, to t- we want things to happen now. God, where, where are you? So I want to make it happen now. And so we will just railroad through. But friends, listen, recklessly railroading can cause us to miss out on God's blessings. Simply because we're not patient. And we didn't wait on him. Listen, friends, over and over and over in the scripture... God tells us to wait on him, right? To lean on him, to let him take the lead. And you know what? Sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says wait. Sometimes he says yes, but we must lean on him and wait on him. Psalm 41 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. So sometimes when Jesus is silent, not acting as quick as we think he should, we recklessly railroad the situation and we act as if we know best, but in so doing, we miss out on God's blessing. So we see Judas's refusal to believe. We see Peter's reckless railroading. And then we see Mark and see that he runs. Mark runs. Okay. Where do you see Mark here and where is he running? Okay. Look at verses 50 through 52. It tells us here in this verse 50 that they all forsook him and fled. That's what Jesus said would happen. Verse 51, now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, and the young men laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Now, most commentators believe that this young man is indeed John Mark. Most believe that this upper room was probably in Mark's 
uh, father's home. And what had happened is that possibly that uh, when Judas came looking for Jesus, he knew they were in the upper room, maybe came there first, and then went to the garden knowing he would be there next. Whatever the case, Mark knows what is happening, and he wants to go to the garden to either, one, see the commotion, or two, to come and warn Jesus and the disciples of what is happening. But whatever we see here is that they have The people, the disciples now, as Mark gets there, have fled, and now he realizes that he must flee as well. Why is that? It's because Jesus has been arrested. The mob and the crowd seems to be in control, not Jesus. And someone evidently tried to grab a hold of Mark, but rather gets hold of the garment that he had laid down to sleep in, evidently. And as they tried to grab a hold of him, fear sets in to Mark, and so he begins to run the 50-yard dash And he takes off, and so do his clothes. Jesus was silent, and Mark was afraid, and so he runs. Why is that? Well, it's because Jesus wasn't resisting arrest. To Mark, as he is looking at the situation, Jesus doesn't seem to be in control any longer. So he's not sure what's happening, but he has doubts about Jesus, What is happening? Why is Jesus not in control? Why do the crowds have him? And so Mark runs in fear. He needs to get away. He needs to hide. He needs to escape. And that fleeing in fear leaves him naked and full of shame. And as we think about this garden where there is one who finds himself doubting God and runs and hides himself and is naked and ashamed, we cannot help but to remember a garden back in Genesis. Amen? Where Adam and Eve doubted the Lord and his word, and they were afraid, and they hid themselves, and they found themselves naked and ashamed. You know, friends, sometimes when Jesus is silent, it causes us to run running in the opposite direction, away from the Lord, because we're afraid. We're afraid because we don't know what's happening. We're afraid because we doubt his word. We're afraid because we doubt that he has control over the situation. We're afraid, and so we run away from the Lord. But here's the danger in running away from the Lord. That running away from the Lord, friends, can leave us vulnerable and naked and ashamed and embarrassed. Because as we run away from him, that means we're no longer following him. Amen? So we see the silence here of Judas is a refusal to believe. The silence of Jesus to to Peter is reckless railroading. The silence of Jesus to Mark causes him to run. And then there's a, a fourth group here, the religious leaders, and we see in them a rejection. They react by rejecting. In verse 53 tells us, and they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. Skip down to verse 55. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against, against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I'll destroy this temple made with hands, made within three days, and I'll build another made without hands. And, but even then, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What's the, what is it these men testify against you? And, but it tells us in verse 61 there that he kept silent and he answered nothing. Jesus is falsely accused, but he is silent. The religious leaders are out to get him. 
They didn't believe that he was the Messiah, and so they reject him as God, and they lie about him to others. These people are basing their hope not in Jesus, but they're basing their hope in their religion. They're basing their hope in their tradition and in following the rules. To them, Jesus was a nuisance. To them, Jesus was offensive. To them, Jesus was a threat. And friends, I got news for you today. There are people in this world today who still see Jesus the same way. They see him as a crutch for the weak. They see Jesus as a nuisance. They see Jesus as a problem. And indeed, they see our Jesus as a threat. These are the people who think that if there, if there is a God, well, he will weigh my good works against the bad. I mean, I've never hurt anybody. I'm nice and I'm good. I'm good to people. And that should certainly count. And he'll let me into heaven. But in reality, friends, those folks are just like these religious leaders who are basing their hope on works and rejecting Jesus as the way to be right with God. They would be asking, so who does this Jesus think he is saying that he is the only way? You ever heard that in our culture today? Yes. This definitely goes on. And people will continue to reject him and to say... If he is who he says he is, why didn't he just speak to us? If he really is God, why didn't he just write something in the sky? If he is who he says he is, why doesn't he just reveal himself to us? But the truth of the matter is this. He has. Amen? He has done that. Which brings us to our second part, which is the reminders in his silence. There will be times in our lives where it does not make sense as to what God is doing. There will be times in our lives when we will call out to God and we will hear nothing in response. There are times when he will be silent in our ears. We cannot hear what he wants us to hear. There are things that happen during that time we need to be remembering as we look at this passage when he is silent, what we need to remember. The first thing is the reality. The reality is this. Look at verse 61. So again, Jesus kept silent, answered nothing. But then the high priest asked him, they could almost sense the frustration because they're not getting anywhere. The witnesses aren't agreeing with each other who are trying to condemn Jesus. And the high priest says, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus used the word, I am. It's the same wording as in the Old Testament when Moses was standing before the burning bush and the Lord God Almighty was in that burning bush and speaking to him and God revealed himself to Moses and God asked who he was and he said, I am who I am. Same words. You see, Jesus was very clearly revealing the reality to the people at this moment. The messianic secret is no longer. It is now time to tell who he is to the people. I am. And not only does he do that, he gives them a double whammy. He quotes from Psalm 110 and also from Daniel 7 when he says, And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. He makes sure that they understand that he is who he says he is. But they reject that. But here's the reality. People can reject him all they want. He is still God. 
Amen. Those folks who may ask and wonder, why doesn't God reveal himself to people? He has, as we said already. We need to be reminded of this reality that he is the great I am. In John 1.14, the Bible tells us there that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus has revealed who he is as he came in the flesh. God became flesh. He has revealed he is God, but he continues. He does reveal that he is God. Well, how does he continue to do that today, Pastor? Well, listen, what Jesus did for Saul, the persecutor of Christians, transforming his life. Guess what? He still does that today. For Paul's testimony is the testimony of so many people around the world where he will take a sinner like me and transform us into becoming a child of God. Amen. He does that. He is still working. When, when Jesus called Paul to the mission field, to, to the Gentiles, he told them and gave them this task that they were in Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And friends, I'm here to tell you that our King Jesus, well, he still does that. That's the reality. And he will continue to do that. Because Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is still going to save people to the uttermost. Praise God. Amen. He's on the throne. And when we think that the Lord is silent, we need to remember that he has revealed himself to us in his word, that he still has the power to save, and that he is the only way because he is God. And that's a reality. People may reject him. But he still has the power to save. So what does that say to us? Maybe there's some of you here who've been praying for a loved one who has rejected Jesus. They've given you all kinds of excuses and they've questioned up and down and and asked you all kinds of things. And you get to the point where you just say, Lord, you're just going to have to do it. I'm here to tell you, don't give up hope. Amen. Maybe you've got a child. Maybe you've got a grandchild, a niece or nephew, a co-worker, somebody that you know that hasn't accepted Christ. Matter of fact, they outright reject him. Don't give up hope. You still pray for that person. Well, why should I still pray for them? I'll tell you why I should still pray, because Jesus still saves. Amen? He's the great I am. Here's, that's the reality. He's God. Secondly, the second thing we need to remember is this. It's reason reason. In other words, we may not always understand his silence, but there is a reason. Peter, if you remember here, he thought that Jesus wasn't acting quick enough. He, Jesus wouldn't resist. But what we know, looking from this side backwards, we know that there was a reason Peter, in the midst of that struggle, in that moment, acting recklessly, railroading the process, could not see the reason. But friends, we need to understand that maybe you're in that process right now where you're not understanding why God is not acting. He's just not acting quick enough. You have to understand this, that there is a reason. In verse 49, it tells us that Jesus is saying to the crowd and the mob that's coming before him, I was daily with you in the temple. You didn't seize me, but watch this. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. 
The reason at that moment is that the scripture needed to be fulfilled. Well, what scripture? Well, there's all kinds of scriptures that are being fulfilled at this very moment. But the one that I like right here is that tells us in Isaiah 53 verse 7, pointing toward the Lamb of God, Jesus, says that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, and he opened not his mouth. There's the reason. Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy. And so we need this reminder when God is silent in our life. And here it is, that there is a reason for his silence, and he has a plan. We may not understand it. We may not know what it is, but there is a reason for God's silence. And Peter can't see the reason for the silence of Jesus, but he will eventually. And let me tell you something, friends, so will we. Amen? There will come a day when we will understand. And we'll understand it better by and by, as the old song goes. In our minds, God's silence, God's ways may not seem logical, but you can mark this down. God's silence may not seem logical, but he is always good, and he is always right. Amen? So the reminders in his silence is the reality he's God. There is a reason. We may not know it, but there is a reason. And the third thing we see are results. Judas wanted to see some results. Jesus just wasn't giving him any results. He wasn't doing what he wanted him to do. For him, Jesus needed to be the political revolutionary that he thought him to be. He wanted to see something, and he didn't, and he didn't so he turned his back on Jesus, and it ended in destruction. You know, as I was thinking about this week, the thought came to me, if only Judas had waited a couple of days, just a couple of days, He could have seen the results, and his life could have ended differently. Friends, listen. We don't always see the results of what God is doing. But at other times, it may only be three days away. Amen? Reminders in his silence. The reality, he's God. Reason, God always has a reason. And the results, we may not always see results. And then fourthly, we see rest. Rest. Well, we don't see anyone resting in our passage of Scripture today. Actually, we do. Jesus himself is at rest. He is resting as he is yielding to the will of the Father. The struggle took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is now at ease, at rest, at knowing what is before him. And yet he moves forward, yielded to the will of the Father, knowing that it's not going to be easy, knowing that it will be difficult, and that it will be the experience of hell where he will be betrayed and denied the weight of sin, the wrath of sin, separation from the Father will all be upon him. But Jesus is resting in the Father's will And he is in total control of this situation. Even though it would lead to death, Jesus is at rest. And friends, here's what we can pick from that. Is that Jesus is always in control. And we must rest in him.
Amen? We must rest in him. I love the book of Psalms. It is a prescription for life. I read a psalm just about every day in the morning. Typically a whole chapter until I get to about 119. I have to break that one up just a little bit. Amen? But of all, my, all the psalms, all 150 psalms, Psalm 37 has become a precious psalm to so many people because it comes at a time in our lives sometimes when it looks like the world is going to hell in a handbasket and we have to wonder where is God in the midst of this. When people have done us wrong and we're not sure how to handle this or when we can't hear from God, we don't know what he's doing. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm just going to read one verse. But I'd encourage you, if, you ever in the, if you're in that midst, in that season in your life right now where you're saying, Lord, I don't understand why you're so silent, make Psalm 37 your reading tonight before you go to bed. But Psalm 37 verse 7 says this, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Watch this. Do not fret Because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Don't fret about it. Rest in the Lord. Don't you love that? There are times when God is silent. We just need to rest in him. And so the reminders in his silence is that the reality is that no matter what's going on, he is God. That God has a reason. He always has a reason for his silence. It may not make sense to us now, but there is a reason. We may not see the results, but friends, the results may be just three days away. And then we must rest in him because he's still in control. Let me just close out with this. This week I I went to a conference at the SBCV office up in Glen Allen. And we had a fellow there who was a consultant with Lifeway excellent pastor's conference for just about a group of 20 of us. And as we were there, he showed us a picture. And I wanted you to see one of the pictures here, if you would click that on for us so you can see that. Okay. He was telling us about when he was, uh, after his father passed away, his father paid for him to go on a hunting trip. He's a big hunter. And he always wanted to go to Wyoming hunting. And so this worked out for him to go to Wyoming. It was in the wintertime, very cold, but it was a hunting expedition and up in the mountains there in Wyoming. And so he says, and so this is, you don't see a picture of him because he's the one actually taking this picture. But he said, if you look at that picture, you see that we had to ride horses up into the mountains to get to our hunting spots. The guy in the front is a guide. The person behind him is another hunter. He said, then it's him. And then there's another guide behind him. He said, that path is a very narrow path. He said, it's about 300-yard drop. And so he's on the horse. And he said, I've, got, I've had a little bit of experience on horses. And I am just a little bit anxious about this because those horses are on this very narrow path. And that is not snow. That's ice that they're walking on. And so he said they... They, they follow this path along, and he is just feeling himself tensing up and just getting anxious about what's happening and what this looks like because there's a huge drop here that we can't see in the picture, but it's right there. And so he comes around. The, they come into a clearing, and they dismount. And the guide who is behind him comes up to him and knew that he was a preacher. He said, Preacher, been watching you on the horse. 
He said, I got a little piece of advice for you now. I want you to understand what, and my heart when I say this to you, preacher, but don't do something crazy. He said, what are you talking about? He said, I've been watching you, and I know you're a little bit anxious about this. He said, but don't do anything crazy. He said, trust the horse. Because these horses make these paths all the time. Week in, week out. Week in, week out. All the time. In good weather and bad weather. All the time. They know where they're going, and they know how to get there. Just sit on the horse and trust the horse. Amen. So that's what, so he says, all right, I got it. I got it. And he said, he said, he followed along and show the next picture. If you would, they eventually came to this beautiful spot. I think he did get an elk or something. Of course, that made it even more beautiful to him. But he says the most beautiful place he'd ever been in his life. And here was the, here was the message for us. Friends, there are times in our lives when we're anxious. We see the steep drops. We look around us and we see the danger. But we need to trust, not the horse, but trust Jesus. Why is that? Because he's been this way. He knows where he's going and he knows how to get there. We just need to trust him. And when we do that, One day we're going to come to this beautiful place. Amen. We'll be worth it all. Because he is worthy of praise. And he is our God. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you and praise you for who you are. And we just trust you today. Lord, all through our lives there are times we just don't understand what you're doing. But God, thank you that we can trust you. Lord, I pray for our people here today. I don't know what's going on in their lives. But Lord, I just have to believe that as you laid this message on my heart for this day, that there are people who are in that season of silence where they're struggling to hear something from you. And they just don't know where you're going with it. God, I pray that you would help us to remember the lesson of trusting the horse. To Lord, just rest in you. To be persistent and to pray, but to rest in you. Father, if there are those who are here today who don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their lives, Lord, may this be that hour of salvation, to know that we're sinners in need of a Savior, that we just need to turn from our sin and turn to you, Lord Jesus, in repentance, Embracing, believing with all of our heart the reality that you are God's son who died on the cross, who rose again bodily from the grave and profess you as the Lord and Savior of our lives. Lord, if there are those here today need to do that, may this be that hour. But also, Father, for those of us who are your children, maybe you're just dealing with folks to, to release whatever it is that they're dealing with into your care. May this be that hour. Or maybe you're working in people's hearts to be obedient to you, to make this their church home or to follow through a profession of faith in baptism or whatever it is you're wanting us to answer the call to. Lord, you are God. We are your people. You are the shepherd. We are the sheep. And so, Lord, we find comfort 
in you. And we rest in you. And we pray, Lord, have your way as we come to this invitation for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing grace greater than all of our sin. And you come as God has dealt with your heart to pray silently or pray with Pastor Andy or myself, whatever you need to do before you leave today. Stand as we sing.